been enjoying our series on grace and truth? Well, we're going to get straight into it today and uh, give you another dose. So why don't we pray and then we'll get straight into it. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, a God who wants to have relationship with us. Not a distant, faraway God that we have to try to summons up to pay attention to us, but a God who even went to the extent to become one of us to help us and to save that which was lost. And I pray that today's word would speak into our hearts, transform our thinking and change the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember our key verse is John 1. If we can get it up there, Nath, that would be great. John 1, verses 14. Oops, there it is. Oh. <laughs> Which way is it gone? Wrong way. There we are. There it is. Let's start again. Our key verse is John 1, 14, 16 and 17, if we want to read it together. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This passage tells us that Jesus came in grace and truth. And as he did, he's shown us what God is like. And this is really important for us to understand. It's really important for us to grasp. Because I think sometimes some of us think, read that passage and we think, well, Jesus came in grace and truth, so that mean, must mean that he is 50% grace and 50% truth. And when we think of God in that way, we can imagine that, what God am I going to get today? Am I going to get the God of grace? Or am, am I going to get the God of truth? Or maybe we even consider that uh, we're going through stuff in life and we say, oh God, I need your grace today. With what I'm going through, I want your grace. Or we're going through another issue and we go, oh God, please bring your truth into this situation. It's a bit like, I don't know if you ever had this situation but has anyone heard of good cop, bad cop sort of parenting? Julie and I sort of practice good cop, bad cop parenting when we're raising the kids. Who, who, who knows who the good cop would have been? Who, who do you reckon it was? Who? Who goes, Julie? Who says Julie? Not many say Julie. Who says Ben? Yeah, all the men. All the men. Oh. I was the bad cop. I was, Julie was the one the kids would run to, especially Benito. He would always run to his mum. And she always fell for his tricks. But, uh, but if there was truth needed in the situation, Dad would bring the truth. He would bring the truth. This is the reality of... But it, sometimes that's what we're like with God, though. We've got this God sometimes who... Is it like one minute his grace and one minute we want him to be truth? And isn't it true? Like we, but 
we need to understand that this passage doesn't say he is a 50-50 God. He is a God full of grace and truth. That means he is 100% grace and he is 100% truth. He is not half and half. He is the full deal. 100% all truth and 100% all grace. And so when he relates to us, that's how he relates to us. He doesn't, doesn't just relate to us as part and part. He relates us to fully grace and fully truth. Now, for us to fully grasp this, we need to let go of some of our religious ideas and notions that we have, the concepts that we have. Because the reality is, many times when it comes to religion, what we try to do is make sure we're doing everything we can to keep God happy. Because if we do something wrong, then we're going to get the truth side. And for us to, to understand God is full of grace and truth together, it means we need to let go of some of these ideas that we had and, and have. We see this really clearly in the New Testament when Jesus came. Jesus came full of grace and truth, and guess what? It messed up the religious leaders of his day. It totally threw them in a, in a tiz or whatever you want to call it. They didn't know how to cope with it. Because they, all they knew about serving God and knowing God is that we've got to do the law. And the law is this list of rules that Moses gave us. And we've got to keep to the law. And as long as we keep to the law, then we can go to the temple once a year and sacrifice something to make sure we're right with God. And so they would think... Uh, if, and if something went wrong in their life, they go, oh, we've made God unhappy. But Jesus comes on the scene and he turns this all upside down. It messes with them. Because all of a sudden, Jesus is hanging around people that are called sinners. And they go, he shouldn't be doing that. If you hang around people that are sinners, then you're going to defile yourself and you won't be holy. And then you can't take your sacrifice to the temple and you can't get right with God because you're spending time with people who are unholy. Or he healed on the Sabbath, which messed them up completely because you're not meant to do anything on the Sabbath. And so they, as Jesus came, he totally, as he came in grace and truth, he totally messed up their thinking because they were looking through the lens of the law. They were looking through the lens of religion and rules and regulations rather than looking at it through grace and truth. And so today I want to sh share with you a story from Luke where we see Jesus operating in grace and truth and how it relates to our lives today. Does that sound all right? The story is in Luke chapter 19. And to give you some context to this story before I share it, many of you would have heard it. It's often taught in Sunday school. But uh, the story happens in Luke 19, and it's just before Jesus is about to be crucified. So Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem. And in those times from where he was to get to Jerusalem, he had to go through a town called Jericho. Now Jericho is a town that was a large town or even a city, and it was a city of trade. It was a city of commerce. And so Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, knowing all too well that in Jerusalem he's going to be arrested and he's, he's going to be crucified. And so he's on his way. And this is what happens. This is what he encounters. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. 
and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. That's nice, isn't it? doesn't say how short he was, but he was short. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must come, I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, the crowd that was around them, saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, just stop there for a moment. It says just sinner there, which is all of us. But what they're actually saying is he, he's going to spend time with a man who is a real sinner, a big-time sinner, a capital S sinner. This guy is known for his sin. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. That's a good deal. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a powerful story. And in this story, we see Jesus operating in both grace and truth. He can't not do it. He brings grace and he brings truth to this situation and to Zacchaeus' life. So what can we learn from the story of Zacchaeus? Number one, we learn that grace opens the door to God's presence for us. As I said earlier, we need to understand that Zacchaeus is a bad guy. He is not just any sort of bad guy. He is top shelf bad guy. He is considered in his neighborhood to be really bad. And it's not because he's short. So all you short people can go, oh, that's, I'm glad about that. It's because of what he does. See, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. But he's not just any sort of tax collector. He as if that's not bad enough, he is a chief tax collector. So if you understand the time, Rome was the occupying force, and instead of them collecting taxes from the people, they would get the locals, local Jews, local people to collect taxes for them. And they would allow them to skim some off the top for themselves or add to it. So maybe they said, you know, these people owe us $10 every $100 they spend, and they could collect $20 and keep 10 for themselves. This is the type of people there were. Now in Jewish culture, this was seen as a, a terrible thing to, to collude and to be in collusion with the occupying force, to be helping them. And so they were considered sinners, but not just sinners, they were considered criminals. So Zacchaeus, this man, was not just a tax collector. He had a whole group of tax collectors under him. So he was at the top of the pyramid and he, all these guys under him, and they would collect taxes, and they, they would keep some for themselves, and they, then they would give some to Zacchaeus, and then the rest would go to Rome. 
So he, that's why he was so rich, because he had a whole bunch of little tax collectors under him. But th this is the thing. You need to understand that as a tax collector, to be considered a criminal for what he did, a crook, that meant that Zacchaeus was not allowed to be a part of any of the Jewish religious activities. He was forbidden to enter the temple area. It's therefore, he was forbidden to come and make a sacrifice to God every year, and therefore there was no way for him to be right with God in their terms. So he's not just a bad guy. He is definitely lost with no way to come to God. To give you a little bit more insight into these guys, these tax collectors, I'll give you another example of what they used to do, why they were so unscrupulous and so bad. They would, when people would say, I don't have money to pay the taxes Rome wants, they've said, well, well, we can give you a loan. Like, we can give you a loan at some incredibly bad interest rate and, and you just pay us back when you can on interest. And so these poor people would go, okay, that's a good deal. I'll give you some money. And then they'd come back and say, can we have our money back? And they go, well, and it's not just $10, it's $100 because you're paying at whatever interest rate. And they go, we can't pay that. And according to that law of the day, then they actually became the possession of the tax collector, them and their family. They were bond slaves to the tax collector. And this is what these tax collectors would do, which would even give them the right to sell them on as slaves to other people to get their money back. Can you see what sort of guy Zacchaeus was? What do you reckon? He was a bad guy. A really bad guy. The interesting thing about Zacchaeus, though, is when he was born, his parents obviously had really good intentions. Because his name, do you know what his name means? Anyone know what Zacchaeus' name means? It means clean, innocent, pure, and righteous. That's what Zacchaeus' name means. Obviously, something went wrong along the line for him to end up a tax collector and a bad guy. But this is the thing. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he saw past who he was and he saw his true value. And he called him out by name. This is really amazing. I don't know if you read what I read, but why was Zacchaeus getting up in the tree? He was getting up in the tree to see Jesus because he wanted to see this man he had heard so much about. So that tells me Jesus and Zacchaeus had never met before. And then in that moment, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down out of the tree. This is a supernatural act of grace by Jesus. This is not the first time Jesus has done this. This is common for Jesus. Remember, he did it at, with the woman at the well when he read her mail and said, you have, yes, you don't have a husband. You have had whatever amount and, and so on. Is that right? So Jesus has done this before. He did it with Nathaniel, the disciple. He said to him, I saw you sitting on the tree, oh Nathaniel, and, and then called him out. So this is what Jesus is doing with Zacchaeus. He is moving in supernatural power to get his attention. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. Can you imagine Zacchaeus' response? He's like, he knows my name. This man who I've heard so much about, this man of such high reputation and such, who is esteemed so highly by the people, who is considered a religious and holy man, 
actually knows my name. Doesn't just know it, but calls me out. And calls me by my name. He's used to religious people ignoring him, crossing the road when they see him coming their way. And instead, Jesus knows his name and calls him out. The amazing thing is Jesus' grace doesn't stop there. Because then Jesus declares, tonight I'm staying at your place, Zacchaeus. Now this is incredible because you need to understand the culture of the day. You didn't just go and stay at anyone's house. If you were staying at someone's house, it meant that they, you and them were in relationship. Not just any sort of relationship, but real relationship. I'm a part of your life and you're a part of my life. And if you get in trouble, I'm backing you up. And if I get in trouble, you will back me up. We're committed to one another. That's when you went to stay with someone. So when, when Jesus says, I'm going to come, as I said, grace opens the door to God's presence. I'm going to come and stay with you. My presence is with you. Your presence and my presence are together and I'm with you. This is a big thing. This is a massive thing. And in that statement, he just he confirms Zacchaeus's worth and value, but at the same time, he turns the traditions of their day on their head because it was un- unknown and, and just never to be considered that a religious leader, someone of Jesus' stature, would go and spend time with a tax collector. That's why the people go... When they see this, they say, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. They're saying, what is Jesus doing? To help you understand this, I'll explain it this way. The reason religious leaders wouldn't spend time with Zacchaeus because he is known to be a a crook and a criminal and therefore unclean. And so if they spend time with Zacchaeus, they would defile themselves and also be considered unclean. Sound familiar? Sometimes that happens in our society today. Oh, I can't hang around with that person. I might defile myself. It's an interesting thought. But Jesus spends time with him. Now, this idea, the reason that religious leaders of the day wouldn't even have a meal with him or spend time in his house is they would be worried and they would know in their head that Zacchaeus is not allowed to go to the temple So he's not allowed to bring tithes and offerings to the temple. So the food that he has on the table has not been tithed upon. And therefore, if we eat that food, we will defile ourselves as well. Can you get this? This is just crazy stuff. That would be like me saying, imagine Elaine and Greg said to me, oh, Ben, I'd love you and Julie to come over for lunch after church on Sunday. And I say, oh, Elaine, that would be lovely. But... Have you tithed today? Because I'm not going to come unless you have put some money in the box up the back there because I don't want to defile myself with your food, which would be unholy because you haven't tithed yet. Is that crazy? Is it just me or is that just mad? But this is the bondage these people lived under. The law had bound them and stopped them seeing God for who he really was. And all of a sudden Jesus enters the situation. Get this. Jesus enters the situation and he says, I'm a picture of God and this is what God wants to do. He wants to have dinner and stay at the house of sinners. 
I want to bring my presence into the house of sinners. Jesus wasn't condoning Zacchaeus' behavior, but he was affirming Zacchaeus as a human being, as his creation. What he's saying to him is, I'm coming to be with you, Zacchaeus. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. I love you because you are my creation, and I know you're lost. And so I'm coming to find you and rescue you and restore you back to who I created you to be. This is the crazy thing about God's grace. It brings God's presence into our life. It finds us. We don't find it. It seeks us out. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out. And it wants to come and live with us. God wants to be present with us always. It's in that moment that Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house that God's grace fills that place, but it's also the moment God's truth reveals God's purpose to us. See, this is the thing. God's grace opens the door to God's presence, but God's truth reveals his purpose to us. In verse 10, the truth is revealed, and in that moment we discover God's purpose. When Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. You see, the Jews didn't believe Zacchaeus deserved to be called a son of Abraham because of his behavior. But what Jesus is saying here is, don't you remember the promise? The promise of, that was given to Abraham was given long before the law was given to Moses. And the promise to Abraham was that he would be the father of a nation and he would have many, many sons. And the determination of that was not your behavior, it was... He, the promise that God had made to Abraham. Think of this now. We've read this this week in Galatians. If you've been doing the, the reading, it talks about Abraham and that Abraham blessed many nations. And that means that God's blessing to us. God, if Jesus was saying this, is don't you realize to us today, he'd be saying, don't you realize that all of us are, a, are sons of, of the promise given to Abraham. Because Abraham was promised to bless many, many nations, Paul said. This is the incredible thing. And then it gets better because then he goes on to say, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In that statement, Jesus reveals the very heart of God. Yes, God comes with his grace. But he also comes with the truth that God's heart is to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, God wants us to come back into relationship with him. That which was lost, what was lost? Relationship with God was lost. And that he, God knows that now without him we are lost. And so he wants to restore back that which was lost. The fact is we are all lost but in this interaction with Zacchaeus, we discover that even though he's the most despised of all, because of what God, Jesus, does for Zacchaeus, there is hope for all of us. Have a look in 2 Peter 
verses three, oh, chapter 3, verse 9, where it explains this even a bit further. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think he is. The example was Abraham. God kept his promise to Abraham. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. He wants every, This is the purpose of God. This is the truth that God wants you to understand. This is the truth that Jesus comes to reveal. That our God is, is not ready to hit us over the head with a hammer every time we do something wrong. Our God is searching for us. Our God is looking for us. Our God is seeking us. Our God is proactive. He is not waiting for us to come to him. He is coming after us. Does that excite you? Church, this has got to excite you because God's truth is that he wants all his creation to be restored back into relationship with him. He knows this is only possible through God's grace and that's why he sent Jesus. See, grace and truth working together. God's truth drives his grace towards us. His heart is to save and to seek us out. And he knows the only way that is possible is by his act of grace, driven by his amazing love for us. Just like Zacchaeus, we can never pay the debts. We can never do enough to get right with God. But Jesus did it once and for all on the cross. As Damien said powerfully last week, the truth is, John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. In that moment, God is making it clear. I'm not coming to punish. I'm coming to save. I'm coming to rescue. I'm coming to search out that which was lost. I'm coming to reach those who are lost this is revolutionary this is all for all they had been taught is let's do everything we can to be right with god but they would never be able to pay the price and in that moment jesus says, i'm not coming to condemn you and this powerful example with zacchaeus gives us a clear picture of it jesus doesn't point his finger at zacchaeus he says i'm coming to stay at your house tonight Zacchaeus in that moment Jesus full of grace and truth encounters Zacchaeus can you see what happens in that time in that moment in that moment the one who was impure now becomes pure the one who was guilty is now innocent the one who was lost is now found what's Zacchaeus's name innocent pure, clean. In his interaction with Jesus, all of a sudden, he is changed. He is transformed. He is different. He says, I'm going to give half of what I have and give it to the poor. And all those people that I'm holding in bondage as bond slaves to me who owe me money and I've ripped them off, I'm going to give it back to them fourfold. Isn't that a type of us that when we invite Jesus into our life when he finds us when we experience his grace and truth that our lives are transformed 
Our lives are totally different. It's really interesting. It's an interesting parallel. Because a couple of chapters earlier in Luke, there's the interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Remember that story? In that story, there's the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, what do you say? Well, I've got to keep all the commandments. And he, he goes, I've done all of that. And, and he's like, I've, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm the perfect one. I'm the good bloke. Compared to Zacchaeus, he's a good bloke. Zacchaeus is a bad guy. This guy is a good bloke. He's kept all the rules and regulations. And so Jesus says to him, well, because you've done all that, all you need to do then is sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy goes, uh, you've asked too much. It's too, it literally says he was very rich. And so that was too much to ask. And then Jesus says to his disciples after that, he says to them, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. And then a couple of chapters later, we see an example of a rich man getting to heaven. What's impossible for man is possible for God. Jesus called Zacchaeus out. Zacchaeus' life was turned around because Jesus noticed him. Because Jesus says, you're a, I see that you're so valuable and important, I want to stay at your house. And in that action of grace and truth, because Jesus saw him as a son of Abraham, even though no one else did, saw him for who he truly was. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming, coming to your house. In that moment, Zacchaeus literally says, thank you, Jesus, and says, because of what you've done for me, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and I'm going to restore all my all those people I've ripped off fourfold. Isn't that incredible? See, the reality is a rich man can get to heaven if he puts his trust fully in Jesus. To put it simply, once we receive Jesus' grace and truth into our lives, everything changes. Zacchaeus' actions are a response to the grace and truth that he has received. It's not done to get Jesus' grace and truth. He's already received the grace and truth, and then he responds to the grace and truth with his actions. That's what I call faith. He received grace when Jesus called him by his name, and he experienced truth when he told him he was going to come and stay at his place. Can you imagine it? In all his years, Zacchaeus had never been able to get the attention of the religious leaders of his day in a positive way. And in this moment, he receives positive affirmation of who he is from Jesus. And in that one action by Jesus, his life is turned around. And he responds by saying, I'm going to make right everything I've done wrong. Jesus declares, salvation has come to your house today. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' salvation wasn't based on what he did, but it was totally based on what Jesus did. As I said, this is what I call faith. 
that when we receive grace and truth from Jesus, we say, this is amazing, this is incredible, I can't be the same anymore. I can't live life the way I've lived it. I need to live my life trusting God. We've been singing it all morning about putting our trust in him. And this is what God says. This is, this is what faith is, trusting him with our whole lives. And we outlive that every day, every day by doing what he calls us to do. No one told Zacchaeus that he should sell half his, give half his stuff away to the poor. But his encounter with Jesus made him go, I need to make things right. I've got too much. I need to give some to others. Because in that moment where Jesus had called him out in front of everyone and said, I'm coming to stay at your place, he goes, this man is something different. I can't keep living the way I'm living. I need to change. You know, it's interesting to note the story of Zacchaeus doesn't end there. We don't hear of him again in the Bible, but if you, if you look into church history, Clement of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, wrote about Zacchaeus in his writings about church history. And he, he declared that Zacchaeus became a very prominent Christian leader and ended up actually being the pastor of the church in Caesarea. So his faith did not stop there. It kept going and going. This is the thing. Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus accepted what Jesus did and his life was changed forever. Zacchaeus received grace and truth. And with that encounter with the grace and truth of Jesus, his life was never the same. He responded by saying, God, I put my life in your hands. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I trust you and I'll obey you. And this is the challenge for many of us, is that the next step in after we receive grace and truth is learning to obey what God would ask us to do. We don't do it to get God's attention. God's already done it. He's done it all. He's seeked us out. He's saved us from being lost. And now we need to ask him, God, what can I do for you? I want to leave you with a question today. And I leave this for myself as well. I'm not just asking you guys this question. So don't feel like I'm pointing fingers or anything. This is as much to me as it is to anyone. But I ask you this question. How are we responding to the grace and truth we have received. Let's pray. Even with everyone that's here, the way we respond can be different for each one of us. For some of us, God may be asking us to respond in forgiveness. For others, it may be He may be asking us to respond by putting our trust in Him again. We're trying to do stuff in our own strength and the load is too heavy and too much to carry and we need to say, God, I'm sorry, I put my trust in you again. For others, we may need to respond by saying no to certain things that we know is 
is coming between us and God. And we know that we need to say, God, I'm going to say no to that stuff. Whatever your response needs to be, I'm just going to pray. And as simple as it is, it's a form of repentance to say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to trust in your grace and truth again. Help me to understand how incredible it is again. And help me to live in it every day of my life. Lord God, I just pray for every person here right now. And I ask you to come and speak to them. Come and challenge them. Come and come and remind them of how much you love them. Of how much you care for them. Of the grace that you have shown them. The truth that you want to restore everything you have for them. The truth that they are your children, that they are created in your image, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. The truth that you love them enough to send your son to die on a cross for them. And the grace that opens the door to your presence in their life. God, I pray that you would come to them right now as they reflect and consider how they're responding to the grace and truth they have received. So often we fall short, and I'm sure Zacchaeus felt like he fell short, and that's why he said, I'm selling half of what I had, because I want to honor this grace and truth I have received. God, help us honor you. Help us honor you with every part of our lives. Help us honor you in acts of obedience to you, Lord God. I ask you this in Jesus' name.